Hello, and welcome to another episode of the How to Scale a Business podcast. My name is Hector Santiesteban, and I'm your host for today, your guide. But really, I'm just going to try and stay out of the way as much as possible because we have a special guest today, Mr. Chris Norton. He is the founder of Prohibition. They're a PR agency and also the host of the newly launched Socially Unacceptable podcast, which is topping the charts right now in the UK. Congrats on that, Chris. Yeah, thanks for the introduction. I wish I was as professional as you as your podcast. I mean, I'm brand new to it. I feel like I'm a baby, but it's like I've just been saying to you before this call, I found it an unbelievable medium to speak to people and the fact that people take the time out to listen to you and if you sat in the gym, driving the car, on the subway. I find the relationship between you and the listener amazing. So thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, it's really cool. And what I also think is nice about podcasts specifically is who knows when someone is listening to this. Someone might be catching this in the year 2033. I don't know. It's a really cool medium that kind of stands the test of time. So take us back, though, wherever as far back as you think is relevant. You've been doing PR for, I I believe now, a couple of decades, if I'm not mistaken, but it's been something that you've got quite a world of experience in. Take us back to as far back as that journey began and then catch us up a little bit now on, on what you're doing with some of your clients. Okay, so I've been in, I did a degree at university in public relations. So I, I chose to do public relations. The, at the time, there was two degrees in the UK, one in Leeds, which is near where I'm from, to give you a feel for that. I know the UK is tiny compared to the US. It's about an hour away from where I live is where, the, where I could go to do my degree. So I did a degree in public relations, which was a four-year degree. And then I did a year placement in-house on a nuclear power station on the other side of the UK, which was an interesting job. That was as a an internal communications person. And then I moved to, went to work in London, the big bright lights of London. I worked in consumer tech PR. And weirdly, I joined. And my second day, we had an experience day, which included tank driving and paintballing. And I thought, wow, this is amazing. This is what the industry of public relations is. I love this. I was only like 20. This is brilliant. But it was because of the dot-com boom. There was this thing called the dot-com boom. And the internet was going to be amazing. The internet's amazing. Everybody, all the investors suddenly wanted to throw all their money into public relations and marketing. This new thing called digital marketing, they wanted to throw their money into it because if you build a website, 70 billion people are going to come to it and they're going to find it and they're going to go on your shop. So we had eBay competitors and all sorts of things. Anyway, about a year later, the world realized that you don't just build a website and everybody in the entire planet lands on it. We always did think that was a bit strange. There was a dot-com crash. So I moved into healthcare public relations, which was consumer healthcare, working for GlaxoSmithKline, again for an agency in London, out near Heathrow Airport, actually, a beautiful part of the world. Worked there for a couple of years, working on some mental health drugs and all sorts of things. Zavirax, you might know. I don't know if you have that brand in the US for cold sores. Diarrhea brand, which was very glamorous for the girls in the office that liked to come over and talk to me all about it. Then, yes, I worked there, then uh, did a few years there. I decided that I wanted to move back to where I live, which, uh, where I come from, which is the north of the UK, near Leeds, um, a place called Harrogate. I decided to move back, got a job up here, worked in it for a couple of agencies. And yeah, it was consumer PR, really, doing lots of media relations, getting people to be aware of different products. I worked on the National Lottery for the UK, which was a big thing at the time and still is, obviously. And then, yeah, I decided that basically I was re- doing some research and I saw that there was this new thing out coming out called word of mouth marketing in America. It was you guys tend to have things break over there before over in the UK. And I was really interested in word of mouth marketing and blogs were becoming a thing. And everybody was saying at work, why have you started a blog? Nobody will ever read blogs. Who's interested in a web blog? I actually got ridiculed. It was quite amusing now if you think about it. And there was this thing called word of mouth marketing that we now know as social media. So it was when the Facebook was out, everybody was trying to figure out how to use MySpace. So I went to work for the first first 
social media agency in the UK. And we set up and we just went nuclear, like we were winning awards. We were so small, talking about scaling, which is what this is about. We were so small, we started at four and then we grew to about 15 people and we were working for all sorts of clients like Sony and stuff like that. And it just blew up and I decided to go freelance and I worked for myself for a bit, for a few years. And then, yeah, then I decided to go proper on my own. So I started a company in my garage, which is, how do you say it in America? Garage? Yeah, in my garage, converted the garage, had an office. I sat at one end, my wife sat at the other and prohibition was born and seen 12 13 years later here we are so that's a whistle stop tour to what i've done and there's a lot of bits in between that i'm sure we're going to get into but yeah that's basically what happened i want to get into there's a few things but i want to double click on this prohibition it means something different in the u.s than over there perhaps but i'm curious where's the obviously you have the pr at the beginning but can you explain why the name and, and how that came about Okay, yeah, I can. Yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> and a slightly delicate one. We were originally, my blog, if it was huge at the time, it was the top 10 huge, Not it was not like uh, BuzzFeed or anything. It was, but it was like in the PR space, it was in the top 10 in the UK, top 10 PR blogs and social media. It was big at the time. But my blog was called Dead Dinosaur. And I was known as the dinosaur PR person. So I launched a company called Dinosaur. But unfortunately, there was somebody else with a similar name. So we had to change the name of the company to be more suitable. So to do that, I didn't want to set, set up a co- I wanted a brand name that could be copywritten and wouldn't be offensive. So we started Googling every brand name you've ever thought of. You're sat there thinking, come up with things like Zest and like exciting words that were just cool. There's some really cool PR agencies out there. There's one called Man Bites Dog, which is a great name. And now we were just trying to come up with names. And we came up with about, I think about 25 that weren't on Google already. Then we ran that through Company's House. Then we checked if we could copyright it. And we had to in the end. And what we did was I surveyed the employees and said, what do we think we prefer? And the where the prohibition came from, to answer the actual question, which you're quite like, did you ever watch Boardwalk Empire? Yes. Yeah, sure. Okay. So my business partner, Will, he said, he was talking about Boardwalk Empire and we went, that's during the prohibition. That's a cool word. <laughs> and that is the post-rationalization I can give you is that it's just a word that was cool. And then we put it into the other ones and actually people liked it, but it was very weird having a different company name one day. But within two weeks, a company name, people, founders out there that are worried about company names, stop worrying about it. It's it, Once it's your name, it's your name. You know what I mean? It does not matter. We spent ages worrying about it. And for the, what you've just done there, which is post-rationalization. And actually, I was like, well, it doesn't really matter. We started off with all the graphic. We're all black and white, 1920s. But now they're all trendy and modern. So we've moved away from that. So that gives you an idea. It, it did mean the same thing. The prohibition of alcohol, prohibition of nuclear weapons, the prohibition of, yeah, it's just a cool word, really. I wish I had something better for you, but that's all I've got. I love this post-rationalization because you go with something and then now all of a sudden we can attach this, oh, maybe they're rogue, maybe they're like going against the grain or like counter, like it has all these other associations with it that you can attach on, which is nice. One of the things that I'm curious about though is you, like a lot of our listeners, you developed an expertise and then set off on your own to start your own thing. And I think a lot of people do that and they're good at what they do. They're great chefs or they're great bakers or they're great bricklayers. But then all of a sudden the transition from laying actual bricks to running a bricklaying business therein lies the confusion or therein lies the challenge because they tend to be different animals. So what was that 
was that easy? You and your wife sitting in your garage and then all of a sudden you've got employees the next moment or was that like, take us through that process and if there were any iterations or things that you went through developing that. What? No, is the first answer to that. No, it's not easy. I wouldn't say it's easy to... Everybody out there that's struggling with things like that, swapping from being the person, the skilled craftsman that does the job. Because I got into public relations because I'm good at creative. I'm good at ideas. I've done award-winning campaigns. I'm good at that. I wasn't good at. People that are great at campaigns aren't great at accounting (laughs) and aren't great at the human resources maybe as, as much. I didn't know all about human resources law. And suddenly when you're in business and you're scaling up, you have to wear so many different hats and, and you're just expected to know the answers to all the questions. So I do feel people's pain. We've got so much uh, HR legislation and things like that. I think what happened was I got to, when you start out, you have to Google things, figure out you, a way of working. You start everything on a shoestring, right? You might do everything on a shoestring, but once you get going, you start to adjust and learn which skills you need to, to get ahead. I would say that one of the hardest things that I found was, because when you're small, what you start out, you know what you're good at. Um, you start off, you hire people that you want to work with who are really great, and you become like friends. It's like a friend business, and then move, morph into this bigger business, and then there's people now, and you can't be like just friends. It's And then you get bigger than that. And this goes through phases and you suddenly realize that you have to make difficult decisions in difficult times and you can't be everyone's friend. I'm a football fan or a soccer fan in the UK and Jurgen Klopp is the manager of Liverpool Football Club and he said, I'm the player's friend but I'm not their best friend. And that's, I think, is a great way of talking about being a manager or an owner manager is you have to do, you have to make, you can't be everyone's best friend, but you can be a good bo- a good boss that cares for people and looks after them. And we've got people that have been with us from the outset. I think that's key. You've got to look after your people. But this, the shift, you're right, the shift is quite a challenge because I don't do as half as much PR now. I'm doing this podcast. I do podcasts. I do on the business meetings. We do new business. I do a lot of client stuff that's different. If there's something difficult and they need a bit of strategy work, but Day to day, I was used to be on the phones. I'd be crafting social media campaigns. It's slightly different. It's challenging. And I can understand why some people, and you'll find this with a lot of owners, will start. They want to earn all this money and they want to grow a big company and be in charge of something with a big vision. And then they get a year or two in and they realize that a lot of it could be political and difficult. It's challenging. And that's why I think a lot of businesses fold and people just think, do you know what? I should be an employee. It's easier because of the politics and all of that sort of stuff. I've tried to steer away from that with my company though we're not a political organ we're not super political we look after people all the things that you should do and that's quite with a creative agency it tends to be if you've got a good culture you'll stand the test of time really yeah when we get back from break chris i want to talk about this pr to me is like this black box that you know i've danced around and have, have I've never been able to crack and hopefully you can have ha- help me uh, to, to crack that maybe we've got a, a lock pick or maybe we'll just smash it through with a sledgehammer we'll see but we're gonna get into that right after this quick break Hey, y'all. Thanks for tuning in. Today's episode is brought to you by Amplify Media, and we are a podcast and content production company. We like to think of ourselves as genius makers, because chances are, if you're listening to this, you have a passion, a purpose, a mission, a message, some sort of product that you want to get out to the world, but maybe you don't have the time, the team, or the tech skills to be able to do it. We can help. Go to AmplifyMedia.com. That's A-M-P-L-A-F-Y Media.com. You can also check the show notes for info. And with that, let's get back to today's episode. All right, Chris, you have the hard challenge of trying to explain PR to somebody who has tried over and over again to learn how to do PR and has thrown my hands up and said, maybe I'm doing it. But when you're trying to explain what PR is 
to a business owner who goes, Chris, why do I need that? We're doing good. We're running ads right now. We've got referrals. We've got our part. How do you help them to see either the value in it or the need if there is one? The first thing is, I would say that the PR professional needs to sit in your C-suite at your director's table. The reason being is because PR is reputation management. And the one thing that you've spent all your time building up is your reputation. And it can be ruined in it can be ruined in one video, one clip, one podcast. It can be ruined. And who do you call? It's not Ghostbusters if the proverbial hits the fan. It's actually a PR professional to a crisis management person. It'd be somebody like me that you'll pick the phone up to and we'll say, we've had some negative news or we've got a crisis problem, the national TV channel want to speak to me about this problem. What? How do I deal with it? And actually, I've been involved in lots of things that I'm NDA'd to, by the way, where you can't talk about the specifics, but you, when a chairman or a CEO, suddenly PR becomes the one most important thing because if you get it wrong, you're over, you're finished, you're done. All the positive side of it, marketing, advertising, you pay for it. As soon as you stop paying for it, you've got no adverts. Marketing, yes, it creates a need, it creates the desire. But public relations is the reputation, the management of your organization. If you want people to see your ad for your podcast, for instance, your podcast service, they might hear your ad, great. But then if I do a story with a case study representing about how great your podcasts are, and suddenly it goes in the Washington Post, I don't know why it would be if you're from the West Coast, but you get the gist, talking about what a great job you've done and how your podcast has gone from zero to 10 million views in 10 million downloads in two months and here's two or three customers as case studies that's the proactive side of pr but you've also got the reactive side which is where if something bad happens that is when suddenly the communications professional will be pulled into the boardroom and we'll be sat there and we have to help out crafting the messaging whether that's on social media public relations and sometimes i've had to manage the whole marketing team has to just step aside right and we say right now stop all marketing because if you put anything out you're going to people are not happy i hope that sort of explains it yeah i'd love to go into that because i think that even our listeners they may not have cnn or these big national things coming to their door but i think that we all can experience some sort of crisis even if it's kind of client sort of things and so when you're thinking through that crisis management what are some kind of foundations or pillars that people can maybe bring into those situations okay that's a great question first thing is honesty is key but controlling the situation is key as well. So if you've got somebody that you can work with, to first thing is what's happened. So you need to get to the bottom of what's happened. And if you're managing a team of three, five, 20, you need to get to the bottom of what's happened. And the press, the media, whether it's broadcast or digital, or they want a response. They want to know what you're doing about it. You might want to craft a response saying, we're aware of the situation. This is what's happened. We're looking into it. We will issue a statement at four o'clock. Then four o'clock comes. And if you still haven't got to the bottom of it, because it's such a complicated matter, you can say, we're aware of the situation. We're now investigating further. There'll be another statement. Do you see what I'm doing here? We're taking control of the situation. You'd be amazed at how much that stops people from ringing your phones and sending you emails and demanding that you have to comment and things like that. Yeah, it's taking control of the situation and being honest. I suppose bringing some sort of human element and treating the story, don't just try and cover it up, basically, which some people do. And the other response is often people just, they send out a press statement. If it's a video, then answer it with a video. If it happened in a Domino's, for instance, there's loads of examples of where Domino's people have touched pizzas and the employees working there. There was a big outbreak three or four years ago, a video that went viral. And and it took a while for them to respond. And they were criticized for that because the CEO, but then they did this the um, response in front of the Domino's background and they did the response to what had happened. So my point is speed 
accuracy, honesty, but take control of the situation is what you should do in a crisis. I'm hoping that not everybody on this podcast will ever be in a crisis and will want to be in a crisis either. Those points, though, I mean, we deal in a service-based agency, and we've got a lot of clients and a lot of moving pieces. And there are degrees of crises, but sometimes a client will be unhappy with a deliverable or an asset or whatever it is. And I think that those same things can be brought to that situation, honesty, speed, those things. Whereas the opposite, not communicating in those instances, not doing those things can be detrimental to the client relationship. And so I think that what you're talking about is beneficial and effective at at the macroist of macros and then also on an individual situation where you are not perhaps out of control, but where something went not according to plan and that you are are now responsible for or to. So definitely applicable. You mentioned this idea of responding back in the way that it happened. Why is that so important? We used to say that if you want to see a crisis before a crisis happens, just put a Twitter wall in your press room. So if you've got a marketing, it's a good answer. But to respond, what I'm talking about is if I deal with social media crises and as well as media crises, it's better to respond where the problem is so it doesn't spread to other channels. For instance, if you've got a problem on Twitter, which let's face it can be quite vociferous, if something breaks on Twitter and you deal with it on Twitter, that can be good enough sometimes. Not always. I'm not, I'm not giving you the definitive answer to crisis management. But if you've got a video that breaks on YouTube or on TikTok, for instance, then respond in the place where sometimes it's even better to respond in the comments of the actual original thing because that's where the conversation is taking place and it shows that you're involved in the conversations yeah some brands would say don't take it to other channels because then you're bringing more of an awareness to the crisis itself however i've seen crises where it takes over every channel and it's out of your control and you have to actually change your website and everything to a holding website that is all about the crisis which happened with bp of course i was going to ask if there's any case studies whether it's you or your own clients or things that you've seen that we might be able to learn because i think that part of the challenges this it could be abstract unless people have something to directly apply it to so is there any you know you mentioned bp maybe you can expand on that or if there are other more illustrative examples of how someone might be able to navigate these crises specifically maybe with social media since that's what you do the bp example the oil spill off florida something horizon which I can never remember the first word of it do you remember what it was? Oh, but I, I remember the event. Uh, yeah, and it was an oil spill. It was a terrible thing. And there was a film made about it, wasn't there? But for the media response, what they did was they published, obviously they had a, what we call a dark site, which is a dark crisis site, which is where you've got a site ready populated with all the positive work that you're doing. They had all the work that they were doing in terms of regeneration, sustainability, and that's what all the site was about and how they were dealing with that particular crisis. And it was all populated on this sort of dark site that came, it was plugged to Twitter and all the social networks, X, sorry, now. But because of the budget that BP had, for instance, what they did with that is they very strategically and cleverly bought all the keywords on Google as well for the search terms for the particular event, oil spill, Florida, et cetera, et cetera. And any keyword that you put in, then their site would pop up. Now that cost them a hell of a lot of money, a hell of a lot of dollars, but that's combining clever crisis strategy with advertising and the rest of the marketing. But there was no way you want to be doing anything positive marketing other than what you're doing to resolve the situation. So this is the work we're doing to clean the beaches. This is the work we're doing here. This is how this is being dealt with. So it is an interesting case. It's one of the things I was giving to my students. We went through it of how they dealt with it, but obviously they had a big budget. I'm imagining people that want to scale their businesses don't have big budgets, but you can still do similar things. You can have statements ready. You just need to follow a process of being making sure you get hold of the situation as clearly as you can or get somebody to help you out at the time, I suppose. Yeah. This has been such a fascinating conversation and I'm always trying to 
get better at the things that I suck at, frankly. And PR has always been that mystery for me. So anytime I have the chance to have someone on with regards to that, I try and take advantage as much as possible. Have you done PR for your podcast or not? Not in its traditional sense, right? I think the lines get so blurry between what is technically PR and what's Mm -hmm. not. Is guesting, is going on other shows, is we have our own community, like a podcast AMA, we call it, where it's a community of podcasters. So we're doing these things. Now, someone might come in and look at it and go, oh, that's PR. I've just never put it in that box. I would say media placements and things like that. If you're doing shows, if you're appearing as from as the host of X podcast on local news, that's definitely PR. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. I see it all the time. That's how you'll drive your numbers. If people want to drive their numbers to their business, if you become an expert in what you're talking about mm-hmm. as the host of the podcast, then yeah. Yeah, I love that. This is so cool. And Chris, it's been such a fantastic conversation. We mentioned at the beginning that you have a new show. I think you're seven, eight episodes in and, and the, the charts are already responding. It's called Socially Unacceptable. I love the tagline. It says, from fuck-ups to fame. That's fantastic. They definitely can go there and I'd encourage them to go there. Is there anywhere else that people can go and, and get connected with you or things that they should do yeah. to go deeper in your world? Yeah, I'm on X or Twitter, as we like to call it. I still can't get used to saying that. So it's at Chris underscore Norton. So at Chris underscore Norton on Twitter. You can find me there. But yeah, Socially Unacceptable is celebrating marketing fuck-ups. So people that, all the things you want to, you've just asked me about, mistakes, errors, people, what people can learn from them. So that's the whole premise of our show is to celebrate the mistakes that people have made in their professional careers. And it is pretty funny, some of the ones that we get. Loving it. It's been fascinating to speak to you on a podcasting professional because you've taught me a bit about podcasting as well. It's been a fascinating chat. I appreciate that. Hopefully you listeners, well, I know if you stuck around, then you definitely got some value out of it. We would appreciate a rating, a review, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you know someone who's on this journey, starting a business, scaling a business, let's let's grow this community together. And so send them this episode. And even if they're not asking for it, just let them know that you thought about them. And I'm sure it'll go a long way. And as always, we appreciate you being here and being part of the tribe. We'll see you on the next one. Later, y'all.